Welcome to the Inklecast. This week we're going to talk about the best Easter eggs that you can find in the Sorcery series and in 80 Days. I'm Tom. I'm John. And I'm Joe. I've often heard you guys talk about the Sorcery series as if it's a series of Easter eggs. What do you mean by that? One of the great things about working with text and working outside of the scope of a physical game book is there really isn't any limit on how much content you put in at all. It's really how much you can be bothered to bug fix. And that means that you have that nice effect when you get a combinatorial explosion from lots of choices and different avenues. that you, You're supposed to sort of wrap them up so that they follow the main plot of the story. But quite how long you take about doing that is sort of up to you. And I think one of the things people have really enjoyed since the first game, and we've been doing more and more as we go along, is making those detours like as long as we possibly can. It's kind of like a game with the with the reader in a way. It's a, can I keep this this little narrative aside going for longer than you possibly believe that I can keep it going? I think when I really really hit on that was in Sorcery Two. There's a boat, and you can you get caught on the <laughs> boat, and it's a boat of slavers. And you can escape the boat and you jump over the side of the ship. And that's what happens in the original story. And I thought, well, it'd be quite fun if you could lead a bit of a rebellion. So you can overthrow the captain and take over the ship, but then you're in charge of a ship. And obviously the narrative part of your brain is saying, okay, this is the point where you leave the ship and the ship sails off into the sunset and you get on with the story. But wouldn't it be quite nice if you could sort of sail off on the ship? And then how far down the river can we get the player to go on the ship before the player starts to say am I doing? <laughs> like, can we get them to go so far they're starting to worry that maybe they really ought to rewind and go a different way and they've actually <laughs> unlocked some entirely separate branch? Um, so just how far down the river can you go? Not very far, because at the time it was it was literally the first of those extended um, barnacles on the plot that I'd written. And I, d- I didn't have that much courage. I was like, how far can I push this? Well, not that far. I don't want to confuse people. Um, <laughs> but the more we've written... And the more people have just enjoyed the random asides, the longer and longer and weirder they've got. I have a feeling, actually, I've been playing through Sorcery 4 at the moment, that a lot of the structure of that has so many little odd set pieces that I think it really is the game built out of Easter eggs, that everyone's Mm. journey is going to be completely different because, you know, you go by this bridge, there's this adventure, you go through this tunnel, there's that adventure, they're all bespoke, they're all silly. Perhaps that doesn't count, though, because they will move you forward. I'm not sure. Right. I mean, I do often feel that when I'm playing sorcery games that this must just be a random little thing. Like, I go down a cave and I find a ruby and I think, oh, okay, that's clearly just a little thing. And then it does tie back in, so it's really mm. hard to tell which things I think are that's... Kind of the barnacles and which bits are the, the main story play there. Yeah, I think that's sorcery to its best when it is comprised entirely of Easter eggs. So what you think is a random aside that's highly specific to a particular spell that you cast in a particular situation that caused you to go on this random side adventure. And then suddenly when all of those string together and they all make sense and they reference each other, that's when you have this magical journey which feels really unique to you. That's definitely something I feel really passionate about during the editorial process. So when you're making a sorcery game, you you basically make the spine of the thing, you make the beginning, the middle and the end, and you work out what's the information the player needs and what are the challenges and how are they overcoming them. And you've added these little barnacles. But then there's this list. It's like when you're exploring a a dungeon level and you you keep track of all the all the turnings that you haven't explored yet and that's the kind of the weight of the level is how many things do i need to explore 
before I've really rinsed this level dry. And as you're writing it, you have a sense that, well, there was that bit with the werewolf and there was that bit with the bug and there was that bit in the fissure. And those are all good bits. And if there's any way I can get them to kick into the, the story again, that'll triple their value. Mm. But once you've written the whole story, you've, you know where all your entry points are. And that's quite nice. So in Sorcery 3, there's, there's one random spell I remember you found, mm. Joe, mm. where you can talk to a, a bug that's out to kill you. Yeah, so I... For kind of context, it was near the start of Sorcery 3, and I'd known from previous playthroughs that there's just this random moment where you're approaching the edge of a cliff, and uh, a lynch bug, like, runs up the side of the cliff and attacks you, and you can kill it. Yeah. Done. Straight away. Right? And then, and it was, you know, it's just a dumb creature. And then the next time I played through was when I decided I'd try casting a spell because I'd found a random item, maybe it was from a ple previous playthrough or something... And I was able to cast a spell on the lynch bug and talk to it. And usually, you know, this type of encounter, if you think of an example from Sorcery 1, it's where you'd kind of play the magic flute and get it to dance its way into a hole and die. Uh, but in this particular scenario, I was able to talk to it. And then what happens? You're, you're able so to it, ride it, it? Yeah, it gets you on its back and it takes you down to its nest under yeah. the fissure. And then you meet its mother <laughs> uh, in the lynch bug colony. And she gives you like this subquest. Um, to do something completely random, which I think you can't even do. I can't remember. But she gives you... But I, that's what I'd written in the first mm. time. I'd written this thing, and it just, and then they dump you on the other side of the fissure, and it's really just a way across the fissure or something yeah. like that. That was what I wrote, and I thought that would be fine. And then a bit later, I realised that, well, there's... One of the serpents has a weakness, which is oil. There's a couple of places you can find oil in the game, but it didn't do any harm to add one more. So, right. And because it's early on, you won't yeah. have found the other ones. Yeah. So we give you a special kind of oil from this bug, which is very quick to do. Yeah. So that when you encounter the serpent and you throw the bug that you got from the random mother of the serpent that you got from <laughs> casting one spell, and it works, Yeah. that's really that's, nice. That's, you know, the perfect quintessential <laughs> yeah, sorcery moment. the sorcery moment, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So we definitely try try to do that as much. But it's been really interesting, actually, in Sorcery 4 because of the way that the loops in that game work, that I've got this list of things that the player can cause, which I'm not sure what the point of their causing them was, but uh, I feel like there ought to so be So the one. kind of loose ends that you can tie yeah. in somewhere. Exactly. So now as I'm, dry, so I'm going through and redrafting, you kind of go, oh, this is a great opportunity to have that werewolf come back. Mm. Like it's a perfect moment when you're just about to be killed by this guard. I don't mm. have any other ways out, but if you freed the werewolf down here, then they can jump and rip his throat open. So, and it'll so, be a good gag. So how do you keep track of all of these random quests, whether they're loose ends or whether you've already tied them in? How do you keep track of all of these minor encounters and how do you make sure that you feed them back into each other? Do you keep a list somewhere of everything or do you just remember it because you've written it it's relatively kind of recently mostly remembering it yeah. actually i think um, it must be the same for novelists as well that when they're writing a mm. book you kind of eventually memorize and learn every single page yes. and you know exactly what happens mm. because it's your canvas yeah sure. and you're trying to make sure that everything fits together you must do the same thing with code right yeah and then there are some bits that you black box you kind of know there was an encounter here you yeah. can't quite remember how it works but it's self in it's internal it doesn't have any bits that stick out mm. but if it's got some public facing bits if it's sure. got a consequence in the world you remember those because those are in important yeah that said I, you know i do make to-do notes to myself sure. like sorcery 4 is full of there's this guy what's he for like <laughs> there's this door mm. can you open it that kind of thing so the questions to the future so how has that um changed when so for 80 days uh we worked with meg giants as another author and then for sorcery 4 we've been working with graham robertson who's been writing a lot of the content on that one so i'm um, the process for Sorcery 4 has been very much inspired by the process for 80 days because that worked so mm. well. That sort of Meg would generally write 
whatever it was she wanted to write about she'd write a scene about this culture or this character or this interaction or this joke or whatever whatever was kind of appropriate to, to the setting that she was doing at the time and generally reading through it you'd kind of go I like that side character they're interesting I wonder mm. if we can do something with that or or there's a moment where someone sort of looks like they have maybe anger management issues and you think well as a player I'd want to just sort of provoke that and see mm. where it can go and so try to tease out where are the things that look that look like they might be cracks in the narrative which can be turned into whole mm. new parallel threads. And I think the best sections of 80 Days really are the ones where we've done that because the, the moments themselves arise out of the core narrative that, mm. that makes cared about and been passionate about and, and provided. Mm. But then they spin off and feed back in weird and unexpected yeah. ways. So they feel like they're part of the core narrative even though they kind of work. They were kind yeah, of built yeah. onto it. I think I saw a definition of... Uh, fun in a game about game uh, a book about game design that said it's something with surprise or it's it's kind of play with surprise or something like that and yeah and thinking of that aspect of surprise as the part which causes kind of delight in yeah absolutely surprise and delight are always yeah. the things that I, I feel that's exactly what a narrative should do it should surprise yeah. and delight you even if that even if it's a dark miserable narrative it has to surprise you and it has to delight you it has to say oh my god i can't believe they went there or i can't believe they did mm. that or i can't believe they killed off that guy mm. like that has to be delightful mm. even if it's horrid in terms of the narrative mm. you have to because i think ultimately when you're telling a story, it's a performance, right? And the audience are looking at the performer, the author, the, 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 the person they imagine to be behind the game, even though obviously it's a team, um, and saying, can you be faster than me? Can you be funnier than me? Why am I bothering to pay attention to you? It's like when you go and see a comic in like a cheap pub and they're all right, but they're not actually as funny as your friends. Mm. And you think, why am I spending money to listen to you as opposed to like <laughs> my friends? But a good comic is faster than your friends. They're funnier than your friends. They practice more than your friends. They're sharper. And that's what a game has to do. It has to mm. be, it has to be out in front the whole time. And then that's just such a wonderful experience for an audience. And what I like about that as a model is that the audience is along for the ride, even though it's interactive. They're provoking the game to say, go on, what can you do with this? And I think that's that's a really lovely space to be in because then both people have a reason to be in gold in the game. Does it help then, do you think, that a lot of the paths in, especially sorcery, are really rare? Like the one with the bug. I can imagine most of our listeners are thinking, mm. wait, what? I don't even remember that bug. Yeah. Like, how many paths do you write that most people won't see? I try not to think about it too much. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, I remember with, with 80 Days, I, just when we were about to ship it, um, there was a boat journey I wanted to add from Yokohama to Honolulu just to free the map up a bit. And it, we were literally three days from our final submission to Apple. And I was I was done. I had no... And part of my brain was like, we haven't done any murder mysteries. Let's just write a murder mystery. And I thought, well, this is on the second playthrough. We didn't believe anyone would ever do a second playthrough. You, you can't get it on the first playthrough. And it, was, it took me a whole day to put this thing together. And it's quite a short sequence, but it was just so complicated. And I just tried not to think about how many mm. people would see it. And actually, it turns out it's a reasonably well-known bit of the game. But... Like, I didn't think so when I was writing it. It was mostly just a coding challenge. And the counterpoint to that is when we did the update and I added a poker game with a character and there's a full poker system <laughs> on one of the boats and nobody's ever mentioned it. I don't think anyone found it. I'm sort <laughs> of gutted about that. Because, <laughs> like, it's, it, like, it actually plays poker. It's got an AI and everything. <laughs> like, and they chat while they play poker. 
But um, yeah, nothing, nada. I Internet worked on it, and I don't phones. think I ever. Saw I remember that. showing you a de- demo of it in a coffee shop when we were working <gasps> on the update, and you were like, "Yeah, frankly, I don't think this is going to be a standout part of the game." <laughs> <laughs> and you were right; you called it. <laughs> well, I guess the point is that in any of our games, any individual player will find a handful of these highly specific things, and they will know in their core that these are highly specific to them because Mm. of the path that they took. There's a really important affordance to that as well, which is that sense that you want the game to feel like it's magic. And part of the magic is every time you hit a loose end, every time you hit a bit of plot that doesn't resolve or doesn't quite make sense, because that happens all the time in interactive Mm. narrative, because the player might just bugger off before Mm. a plot is properly finished. You want people to feel that they all could have been resolved. They all could have meant something. And so long as you show the player a lot of here was a completely weird thing that turned out to have a meaning then they start to believe that everything has a meaning mm. and whether or not everything has a meaning i don't really know as the author because i only fill in the ones that i can think of mm. there is that famous example in 80 days isn't there we're always getting asked about how do you do this one thing that we mentioned once was an achievement you can do mm. in the game and i'm not sure if it is because i remember saying that it was something you could do in the game i don't remember where or how you do it now <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever found it i think well, what is it uh, it's the you have to save a sailor from being amputated. Okay. I believe that's possible, but um, <laughs> I've got lots of angry people on forums saying that they've tried every single boat and every single sailor and they can't do it. And I'm like, well, I don't even know anymore. Right. Um, but that's which, it's part of the magic. Shall we wrap up by kind of talking about, say, two or three secret parts of sorcery or 80 days um and you can maybe see if you can remember how and if it's possible to do so something that i've seen talked talked about online and i know it's possible because people have talked about doing it is that it's possible to kill the time serpent in sorcery 3 without using the conventional way of killing the time serpent not that we want to give away a spoiler (laughs) about that particular part yeah so i remember that one um you meet the time serpent early on now how did that go in the original game book you meet these seven figures who just they just kill you they, they just kill you they're just a trap mm. they're not even a particularly interesting trap they, there's no explanation of who they are or where they come from or what they're doing um so i thought it would be cool because they were such a great image and there was a great picture and they were like a really great name to it so i made that an, an instantiation of the time serpent in the narrative so the ah. time serpent then attacks you and so- then it was still an instant death and playing it, you meet these guys, they really kill you because it's the flipping time. So in the original book, did the serpents all just kill you straight out? No, no, they didn't. Um, The original book actually is relatively close to how the serpent encounters work, that they they have a weakness that they can do. The time serpent, I I think the time serpent does kill you straight out, though. Okay. Like, there's a a different mechanic for beating it. Okay. But um, but this this kind of early meeting of it doesn't happen in the book at all. This Mm. is just some, literally, it's some random ghosts that have no other... Mm. place in the plot um and then it just that thing happened so yeah i added a chance to cast some spells because it's nice to feel you have a chance mm. and then one of the spells will defeat the time serpent but it's not the one you would expect okay and that was quite fun okay yeah. that's <laughs> cool that's nice um, and then i kind of was wondering whether i should take it out and then but one of the nice things about the fact that these parts of parts that not many people see is there's never any reason to take it out Mm, yeah. right? even if it destroys the balance of the game it doesn't really matter yeah, yeah, yeah. because it'll be so funny to the people who find it that yes. it's, it's worth it as long as it's not a teleport to the end mm. that probably wouldn't be much fun <laughs> well that's a good one I Any was thinking this... um, in 80 days actually one of the easter eggs which was most remarkable for that game was the romance with the Mongolian princess 
Mm. Because that turns up in most people's list of favourite things that mm. they can do in the game, is that you can fall in love with this person and follow them around the world. And Isn't that like a standard thing that happens on that particular route? It was not originally. Okay. She was just a random character you met that kind of spun out into this Easter egg, which right. became this thing that people wanted to do. Mm. I think people find it more often than not because generally... They if, want to follow that thread. Yeah, if there's yeah. romance there, they pursue it. But yes. it is technically as much of an Easter egg, to my mind, as yeah. the, the lynch bugs. Yeah, oh, I think my one then is uh, the God of Gods in Sorcery Three. Oh yes, yeah, this is something we haven't talked about publicly before, and not something that anyone's noticed or has yeah. understood the story. <laughs> yeah. So to give a bit of backstory, um, about two weeks before Sorcery Three was released, there was an interview in Eurogamer with what's his name, Brian Henderson, the winner of mm. Curiosity, Peter Molyneux's Curiosity. And he had offered him the role of God of Gods in the game Goddess, but he had never got it. And we thought that there would become a trend of people putting Brian Henderson in their games as a God of Gods. So we thought we'd get in there early. <laughs> and there is a God of Gods in Sorcery 3. It's relatively hard to find. You have to do a slightly random thing on a slightly random island, but you can get yourself the God of Gods. He's not very good. He's quite grumpy. He's and not really interested. His name interested. is Brian. His or name something. is Ibran. Ibran. Which is a not very subtle anagram of Brian. But no one noticed it. I kind of assumed that someone would put that together. Like, it's he is the god of gods, and he spends his time moaning about how being the god of gods means he doesn't get to do anything because all he's in charge of are other gods. Um, and I still don't know how I feel about it because I don't think Steve knows that it's in there. And Steve is good friends with Peter. They right. set up Lionhead together. Right. Um, oh. So. Uh, who knows? Who knows how that will land? An angry email on my desk tomorrow morning. But um, this is like the Franz yeah. Ferdinand moment for us, isn't it? It's going to be the end of England, <laughs> <laughs> destroyed by our hubris. Um, well, it's good to see that curiosity did something. Um, <laughs> so, but one of the things for me that's a problem with that is that I put that. That was definitely going to be an Easter egg, and Ebran. Uh, he's not a very good god, he's not very helpful, and he will leave <laughs> after five or six comments. He makes five or six grumpy comments when he sees things. He just goes, oh, I don't like water, or I don't like... And then he'll go. And the idea was that I wanted players to be to be rid of Ebran by the time they finished the book, so I didn't have to continue this ludicrous thread. But, of course, <laughs> someone on Touch Arcade has completed Sorcery 3 with Ebran, so now you can have Ebran in book four. Aww, and so I have awesome. to decide what to do with that. Um, so that is a problem that I'm actually working on at the moment. <laughs> so Brian Henderson has gone clearly, from... Clearly this has to be the the kind of the side thread of side threads that allows you to complete Sorcery 4. <laughs> well, I was thinking, like, the, um, the, the, the great thing about Sorcery 4 is all of, you can bring Easter eggs to flourish as ways of defeating the Archmage, because then they're, they're super valuable if they're worth yeah. doing that. And there's a couple of those already, and every time I think of one, I'm just like, is this good enough to be another way to actually just solve the problem of the entire game? <laughs> and I think get, if you can get Ebran to the central tower of Manpang, that's probably worth it. Oh, that's so, a challenge. Um, yeah, I set that for. challenge, <laughs> but I haven't written it yet, so we'll see whether that... Uh, because there are two ways I could end this, either with the beautiful climax or my favourite thing to do to Joe, which is the interrupted climax, where you get really close and then it goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Actually, if anybody that's listening knows Brian, please send him a link to this podcast. Let him know that he is the god of gods, even if he's not. Yeah. And he, he won't get a share of the royalties, but we, we, <laughs> we would be willing to send him a copy of the game, I suppose. <laughs> All right. Because we definitely the... took his name in vain. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.